night. Let's go ahead and pray real quick. Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for us. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you show yourself to us. You move in us. You call us to move for you. Father, you know where our hearts are. You know what 2017 has been for us. Individually and as families and as friends of families. Father, you know where we are as a church, as a body of believers. And you know what we need more than anything. So I ask that you bless this reading of your word, the bringing of your message, that our hearts will be soft to you, will be open to you, and will be moved to do and to be what it is you call for us. We thank you, we love you, in the name of your son Jesus, the lion and the lamb. Amen. So you ever get anxious for what's coming in the future? You don't have to raise your hand, um, but we all know it. We all do that, don't we? We all get anxious. We all get worried. Some more than others. Some are paralyzed by fear. We get nervous about what's coming. Sometimes we get nervous because of opportunities that are ahead. Some of us get nervous because of obstacles that are ahead. We get nervous when we're waiting for a call back from a doctor or a job interview or a boss. So sometimes we get anxious about what the future will bring. Sometimes we get anxious or nervous about what God wants us to do. And sometimes we wonder what God has in store for us. And it can be a little daunting to commit to following God in the future without knowing what that future looks like. I was fortunate to have a, um, a friend in college. He was my, uh, my RA. And, uh, and since then, um, he and, and his wife have been missionaries to uh, to Malaysia and to Thailand and, um, and back and forth in the U.S. and, and overseas. And um, he has gone on to get a Ph.D. But when I knew him, he was a Christian of only about two years. Um, and he had, uh, he had a history of um, drug and alcohol use and being a star football player on his high school team. Um, and he was only 19. So, uh, so he had been called, uh, called by God and he had a um, he had a testimony, and one of the things that he used to say, his name was Richard, and one of the things Richard used to say was, if I'd known 10 years ago um, what God had, had called me to, I would have freaked out. Can you imagine having no interest and no desire to know God or serve God, and, uh, and God saying, oh, don't worry, one day you'll be a missionary. But he attributed that to God's wisdom and not to his own goodness or his own commitment. But, um, but, but it can be daunting to look at, um, at what God might have for us and, and to panic a little bit. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want, you to, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 33. Now, I know the first thing you're thinking is you're a youth pastor. Why are you preaching out of the Old Testament? Isn't that out of your league? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> and then you hear me say a word like theophany and... Um, you can Google that because I had to, but um, but you're going to hear hear that word. I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. A theophany is a visible representation of a deity to humanity. So uh, so in our case, of course, we're talking about um, talking about God, the God, uh, the only God. But it's been used in uh, Greek theology, in uh, Greek mythology, and all that kind of stuff. And anytime a 
that God um, appears to humanity um, is called a theophany. So, um, so we're actually going to look at a theophany today. And one of the interesting things about it was, um, is that we're going to look at a word that is only used one time in a theophany. Only used one time. This is the only time that this, that, um, that this word is ever used in a situation where, um, where God appeared to humanity in a visible um, representation. So, uh, so here's what I want you to do. I want to look at, um, at Exodus 33, just, and we're going to uh, camp there. <laughs> camp because it's Exodus. But anyway, we're going uh, to camp out there, um, and, uh, and we're going to move forward. Um, and that was off the top of my head. I can't believe that. But, um, but here's generally how things were because we have a focus verse and we're going to go back and forth, a focus passage. But while Moses was on Mount Sinai, after the Israelites had been freed from Egypt, the people became impatient. Now, you may not be able to relate to that, but I certainly can. Um, God was writing out the law for the people. And as soon as he finished with the, the law of the Sabbath, he sent Moses, Moses down the mountain because the people were impatient not knowing why Moses was taking so long, and they created a new God, a golden calf, to lead them. And the Lord told Moses to walk away so he could destroy the people, start fresh with Moses, and make his descendants into a great nation. So um, that's, that's kind of where um, the, the story goes. I was in Exodus 32, um, 9 and 10, when, um, when he said that, he, uh, where God said, all right, go down to the people. Or he said, um, the people are, cry, are, um, are aggravating me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so go away and, um, and I will destroy them and then I'll start fresh with you. But then Moses pleaded on their behalf saying that it would make God look bad to the other nations if he did that. Instead, Moses called the followers of God to his side and the Levites came and were ordered to kill the rebellious and they killed 3,000 people. So he said, whoever wants to serve God with me, whoever's going to be a follower of God, um, you come stand with me. So, um, so the Levites were the only ones listed that came. And we know that the Levites um, were the, uh, the priestly tribe, but not at this point. The Levites came and they were ordered to kill the rebellious. He said, strap a sword to your side and go through the camp, killing your friends and family members. So they did. And they killed 3,000 people. And then the Lord, judged, the Lord judged many others with a plague. So that's how, um, how chapter 32 ended up. <laughs> that's how all that stuff ended out. But then we move into 33. And of course, we know that the, uh, um, the, the books of the Bible weren't divided into chapters and verses. We did that later for reference so we could find things easier. Um, and uh, so um, in chapter 33, the Lord commanded Moses to leave Sinai and go to the land he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I'll send an angel ahead of you to drive out the inhabitants. And he listed all the inhabitants. But he said, I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Okay. So this is the God who had, um, who had led them out of Egypt to start um, a new nation or to continue on with the promise. So he said in verses 1 through 4, 33, 1 through 4, Go, leave here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your offspring. I'll send an angel ahead of you and will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and they didn't put on their jewelry. In other words, they entered a period of mourning after hearing this. But then the Lord said to Moses in chapter, in verse five, he said, um, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I went with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. So take off your jewelry and I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward. So Moses, uh, it says, uh, Moses took a tent. So read with me um, chapters or verses 7 through 23. We're going to read together. Not out loud, don't worry. But this is all one part of one big story. So Moses took a tent and he set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. The Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, Look, you've told me, lead this people up, but you haven't let me know who you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name, and, and you have found, found favor in my sight. Now, if I have indeed found favor in your sight, please teach me your ways, and I will know you and find favor in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence doesn't go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go from here. How will it be known that I and your people found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I'll do this very thing you've asked for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he answered, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. I want you to reconsider a phrase that you've heard repeatedly, going behind someone's back. And I want you to reconsider that in light of, um, in light of following God. Because I want to talk about going behind God's back. 
Usually when we talk about going behind somebody's back, we talk about doing things without them knowing about it. And usually it's referred to um, as a sense of betrayal or deceit. But I want to reconsider it um, in, in the way that, uh, that we're going to talk about it here as far as going behind God's back and the importance of doing that. And I want you to reconsider, when we talk about going behind God's back, I don't want you to think of it as, um, as deceiving God, which can't be done. As doing something without his consent or without his permission, because that's purely deceitful and we're not, we don't need to do that. But I want you to consider what it means to go behind God's back, and I want, I want you to consider going into 2018 as a fresh place, going behind God's back. So Moses would meet with God face to face in the tent of meeting outside the camp, but the pillar of cloud was only a manifestation of the presence of God. I want to say only in quotes because that's a horrible word. We're talking about God is not only anything except for only good and only just and only holy. There's no sinfulness, no wickedness, no evil, no deceit in him. But I want you to look at um, the progression of the relationship um, that Moses and God had. And of course, we know that they've already had a relationship for quite a while um, from the time that, um, that Moses uh, was called up onto the mountain, onto Mount Sinai, and he, um, he was uh, speaking with God, and now here he is on Horeb. And he's seen God do all these amazing things. But I want you to look at uh, one of the important things about this I never realized until I was preparing for this was that uh, when we talk about God having a face, and then we talk about um, this is the first time we really hear about God's backside, his back. Everything that really, that everything that Moses has seen up to this point has been, um, has been seeing God's severe side. Seeing God from a standpoint of severity. He has called him out to be a different people. He's watched him use his power to overthrow the greatest nation in the world at the time, um, the Israelites. To wipe out thousands of people to destroy an entire nation, to weaken them by, um, by the destruction of, um, of their firstborn and by the destruction of, um, of their, uh, their religious system and everything, even to the point where, um, where God said, um, the only way that you're going to um, get out of this alive <clears throat> is if you kill a lamb, spread their blood on your door and stay behind that blood because the angel of death is going to pass through. And if he doesn't see that, um, he will destroy you as well. So I was, um, as I was preparing for this, I read uh, um, and I, I was reading the commentaries and everything. That was the first time I'd, I'd heard that, uh, that, that up until this point, everything that Moses has seen about God has been his severity. And I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep that in mind that this is a relationship that Moses had with God up to this point. The nation of Israel had this relationship with God up to this point. They had seen him say that he would care for them and he would do all these great things and he would lead them to an amazing place, but they hadn't gotten there yet. But he had watched them, um, they had watched him do supernatural things uh, by sending plagues of darkness and flies and locusts and blood and frogs and ultimately death. And then he said, um, but go and ask your, um, your Egyptian neighbors for all their gold and silver and they'll give it to you. 
So what did they do with their gold and silver that God had provided for them for their journey? They melted it down and made another God. And God said, I can't deal with you people. I will turn this desert around and we'll go right back to Egypt. That's a paraphrase. That's not his, his words. But we can, rec- we can understand that, um, that concept from, uh, from us as parents and, and friends. We're just like, oh, my gosh, you guys just aggravate me to no end. But I love you. All right, so, um, but, but he said, um, that's, what he told, uh, that's what he told the people. He said, I'll send an angel ahead of you into the land, and I will drive out the people who live there because I can't go with you. I will kill you on the way. All right. Thank you, loving father. So, um, so, then that, so Moses began to plead with God, and he said, well, um, well, you would just look terrible if you did that. And this is something that we need to remember about ourselves. When he said in 14, in uh, 33, 14, he said, then God replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In other words, you can rest in me when I go ahead of you. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go, don't make us go either. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. What is it that makes us different from everybody else in the world? It is God and God alone. Have you considered that, that you are no different from your lost neighbor except for Christ? God and God alone. God is the only thing that separates you from them. It is not, um, it is not anything that you have done. It is not your accomplishment. It is not um, your race. It is not where you grew up. It is not your culture. The only thing that makes you different from anybody else is that God has separated you out himself. And here's the beautiful thing about that. What God wants more than anything else is to continue to separate people out. I want you to keep in mind, if you, if you say that, um, that you don't have God, you don't have Christ, that you can't do that, well, congratulations, you've taken the first step to becoming a follower of Christ. Because the first step is saying, God, I can't do that. And God says, good news, I've already taken care of it on your behalf. So we look at, at, um, at God as, as being severe, and that's what the nation has said. That's what, the, uh, what Moses has seen, and, and he said, you're the only thing that separates us, so please don't make us go into this awesome place you have promised us unless you're going to go with us. Because you're the only thing that separates us from everybody else. There was nothing unique about the nation of Israel except that God was with them. And they had been chosen and set apart and accompanied by God. So uh, maybe Moses was saying some of the same things that we need to say, such as, I can't do that without you, God. When God says, go here, I can't do that without you. I can't go there unless you go with me, God. I'm not taking this opportunity unless you set it up, God. I'm not moving there unless you go ahead of me, God. 
And a lot of times we do stuff backwards. And we make our plans and decide what we want to do and then ask God if he's going to be okay with it. Will you please sign this paper for the plans that I've made? And Moses had the exact opposite perspective. And that's why one of the, way, the reasons he's found favor with God. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we can't go. I'm not going to leave them there unless you go ahead of us. Unless you're with us. Because you're the only thing that's going to make that feasible. And the Lord answered Moses, I'll do this very thing you've asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Spurgeon says that um, Moses' prayers became uh, exceedingly or excessively more bold. Little bit by little bit, they became bolder. And he said, Moses, his faith grew as a result of asking God for more than God was offering to do. If we need, he, uh, Spurgeon said, if you need one thing, ask for 10 times as much. If you need 10 things, ask for 100 times as much. And then he, and he said that bold prayers serve as a wedge to continue to drive you deeper and deeper into the, um, into the heart of God. And then Moses said this, please, let me see your glory. And God answered, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he answered, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of that rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back. My face will not be seen. So um, when Moses asked to see God's glory, then God said, I'll show you my goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim the name Yahweh before you and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and compassion on whom I'll have compassion. I'll cause all my goodness. One of the interesting things I found out about um, right here um, is, uh, is that this is the only time the word goodness, the word goodness is used in theophany. In other words, this is the only time that God said, of all the things I want you to see, it is my goodness. It's the only time that he revealed himself to, um, to, um, to a person. And he said, I'm showing you just my goodness. And we're going to look at what goodness means as a, as a result of that. Um, I wish I could find my notes. My computer crashed a couple times. The books I borrowed, the papers, you know, there's other stuff. But um, I wish I could find this um, again. Um, and I'll have to go back and take a look at it. But one of the, the, uh, the pieces that I was reading said that, um, that this, this is the same place that Elijah first met God, in the same spot. And the cleft that Moses, that God said he would hide Moses in is the one in uh, Exodus 16 or 17, where he hit the rock and water came out. 
That's the cleft that Moses is going to be in. And it's the one that the Apostle Paul referred back to when he's talking about that being an image of Christ at that rock at Horeb. And God sustaining his people through the water of life that flowed from the rock at Horeb. There's a lot more to this. And of course, this is so much bigger um, than, than we can do, than we can understand, than we can grasp. But the, one of the important things for us to look at is that he said, um, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And God said he would proclaim his name to him. Um, and he also said, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And that is a statement of God's sovereignty. A statement that God is entirely self-sufficient and moves in his own character, strength, and power. He said, I'll proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will tell you, I am God. That is who he's going to say. He said, I am God. I'll, I'll remind you of that as I pass before you. Martin Lloyd-Jones Martin Lloyd gives the idea of what God said to Moses, and he said, I will stoop to your weakness. I will let you see something. But much more important than that, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. I'll give you a deeper insight and understanding into myself, into my character, into what I really am. And that is what you really need to know. Instead of asking to see um, God in, his, in all his glory, which we, we can't do, we can't understand it, we can't grasp it. It's not phys uh, physically possible for us to do that. And spiritually, we can't do that um, or it would destroy us. Isaiah was given a glimpse of God's glory and, um, and mourned his own sinfulness and weakness and knew that he was deserving of death. But he said, I will, I will stoop down and let you see something. But really what he said was, I will let you see what it is you really need to see. Instead of letting you see all of me, all the stuff that you're asking about, I'll let you see what you need. So he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion, so there's a sovereignty. And he answered, you can't see my face, for no one can see me and live. And he said, here's a place near me. You're to stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. And I'll be honest, I looked all over the place for the place that he actually did this. I thought that I would read again, and I thought I had. Because <laughs> how many times have we read something in the scripture and we said, I know what's in there. And it was something a pastor said or Oprah Winfrey. And, um, uh, but um, we're like, no, that's, no, it's in there. So, so I looked all over and I, and I couldn't find it where the scripture says, and so Moses went to see the Lord and he passed by and the Lord covered him with his hand. And then when he passed by, Moses was able to see God's goodness from God. But, it says, and I'll take my hand away. You'll see my back and my face will not be seen. End of chapter 33, chapter 34. So the Lord said to Moses, 
Cut out two sun tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Way to bring that up again. Thanks. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> as I was reading one study that was uncredited, but the author was very, very good, he said, this allowed for Moses to be more involved in the covenant than he was the first time. He spent all that time up there with God and he carved the words of God. God spoke to him and he carved them on, their, on the tablets himself. So it's generally believed that this is where, um, I mean, it says this is where God did that, where God um, spoke with Moses and passed by, but it doesn't talk about him covering with his hand, but we know that's what happens. So in verse two, he says, be prepared by morning, come up to Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may come up with you, so Joshua can't come. No one must be seen anywhere on the mountain if anybody snoops are going to die. He didn't say that. That's an ad lib. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Keep the animals off. So Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name Yahweh. And then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately bowed down to the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I've indeed found favor in your sight, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wrongdoing and sin and accept us as your own possession. So it's interesting that, uh, that um, Moses went up on the mountain and God said, um, said uh, okay, so you've carved, carved these tablets out, you're here by yourself. And it said he passed in front of him and then that's what he said. So this is how the Lord, what did the God say he was gonna show to Moses? His what? Well, it was his goodness, right? He was gonna show Moses his goodness. I want you to see my goodness. So he said, I'll speak my name, I'll speak the name of the Lord, and then I will show you my goodness. So he starts off Yahweh. Okay, so he speaks the name of his Lord, speaking of his sovereignty um, and his, uh, his goodness, his power. Okay, and then look at the way he described himself. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He's maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He, and yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes to the third and fourth generations. So he said he was going to show Moses his goodness. But what he did was he talked about all the great things he does. God's goodness is best displayed in the way he responds to us. He's compassionate to us. He's gracious. 
He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands of generations or a thousand generations. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But look at this. These are two more aspects of goodness that we don't equate with goodness. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And he punishes the third and fourth generations. One writer said, punishing the third and fourth generation seems grossly unfair until we look at it from the standpoint of um, God uh, belaying the debt of sin um, so that the nation can survive. And the consequences carry down um, to the third and fourth generations. If God punished everything in the first generation, the nation would have been wiped out. But him not leaving the guilty unpunished is a goodness. It's a goodness. Do you recognize that conviction of your sin is a good, an act of goodness and kindness on God's behalf? How many of us appreciate when God convicts us of our sin? Let's be honest. In the moment, not at all. Nobody likes to be caught. But we recognize, if we're honest, we recognize that conviction of sin allows us the opportunity to confess that sin and to not have to face a judgment. Isn't that a goodness for God to say, all right, you're guilty, but I provided a way out for you. That is a goodness for us. And it's definitely a goodness for us when God punishes the guilty against us. Right? But God describes his goodness. He shows his goodness to Moses by listing off the good things he has done. Listen to what this, uh, this one author says. This is amazing. He says, as the term goodness is employed in the Old Testament, this meant that God's benevolence, God's graciousness and generosity would be seen by his servant Moses. Especially in the book of Psalms, the goodness of God is emphasized. Here the emphasis of goodness falls not on the things which God gives, but on the goodness and generosity of God as the giver of good things. Perhaps the best sense of the word goodness is found in the book of Nehemiah, where we read, And they captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. But they in their own kingdom, with, your, which, with thy great goodness, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. In other words, he said, we know that God is good and God was good to the nation of Israel because he sent them into a land where the cities were already fortified and walled to, attack, to defend against attackers. The vineyards had already, were already productive and they didn't have to, um, have to till the soil and plant the seeds and wait for harvest. It was there waiting for them. The <clears throat> same with the, wit, uh, the, um, the wheat fields, the olive groves, the fruit trees, um, their water storage and cisterns. It was already there for them, waiting. All they had to do was show up, follow God in. He said he would drive out the enemies and they would go in and they would take the land, a land where the cities were built and the, um, the, uh, the harvest was plentiful and the water was there. 
and the, um, and the cities were strong, and they were ready to defend against whoever would come and take it from them. And that is a display of God's goodness. That's a display of God's goodness. In his goodness, God gave his people the good things of the land of Canaan, but instead of being full of gratitude, so they would worship and serve God, the Israelites turned from God, rebelling against him. The good things which God provided for his people were a testimony to his goodness to his people. Goodness, therefore, almost equals prosperity or blessing, so that God's goodness is his benevolence or his generosity. So I want to challenge you because 2017 wraps up in a few hours. And at this time of year, a lot of people make resolutions to start at midnight or when I get up at 2 p.m. tomorrow. This is, a, um, this is when people, what, not me. Um, this is when people make resolutions for the new year. And usually they're the kind of towards self-improvement, right? But I want to encourage you to begin 2018 by going behind God's back. I want to encourage you to look at 2018 in light of everything up to 2017. Everything up through today. What has God shown you? What has God done for you? What has he displayed in terms of his goodness to you? Amended relationships. Relationships that should have been severed and were. Healings. Surgeries. Broken families brought back together, jobs offered, raises given, my little Kia still running after 15 years of poor maintenance. People make fun of me for that little car. I make fun of me for my little car. But here's the reality. Ever since I was in high school, I wanted a truck. One of these days. But um, I'm pushing half a century now, and um, still no truck. But it is God's goodness that my little Escort and my little Civic and my borrowed van, all these things that were given to us, and all the things that, that we got at low, low prices, and my little Kia that I bought brand new when Lexi was three months old, still runs. That is God's goodness. And I have two options. I can grumble about it and say, yes, but it's not the car I really want. Or I can say, thank you, Lord, for continuing to provide for me. Because you know what I don't have? I don't have a $500 car payment. So God is, God is good to us. God is very good to us. And, and it's in small things like that. It's in my dad's two, um, two bouts with cancer um, that, he is, um, that God has healed him from. And I know he's not alone in that in this room. All right, back there? That's right. <laughs> but God is a good and gracious God. He's a good, a God of goodness. And it's really easy for us to say, okay, yes, God, you've done all these things, but... Why would God change his mind all of a sudden in the way he cares for you? Would he say, that's enough, okay. All right, it's 2018 now. I'm making a resolution too. No, that's, that's not what God does. I want to encourage all of us, me too, 
instead of being anxious for what's coming in 2018 and down the road, that we look back on all the great things God has done for us, even to the point of convicting us of sin, even to the point of prompting us to pray for those our friends and families that are lost, to say God is not finished. He can continue to work and he can continue to move. And I've seen him do it before. Look at 2018 in light, not just of 2017, but of every year before. And I've got a lot of years to look back at God's goodness. Some of you have a lot more than I do. Don't take it personally. I love you. But God is a good God. Don't be all the time. I want to encourage you to look backwards at all the goodness he has displayed, all the generosity of his blessings, and to use that as an encouragement to follow him into the future. You've heard Randy quote Henry Blackaby a jillion times, and he says, see where God is at work and join him in it. We don't have to look at where God is at work around the world, just right here in your home, in your family. And I want to encourage you, rather than being a trailblazer and inviting God to come along, commit to following the Lord on the trail, he is blazing for your benefit. Pastor, and I'll wrap up with this, Pastor Chris Russell of Veritas Church says there are eight things you can do to discern God's will for you. And these are everywhere you go, you you hear very similar things. The first is to walk with God. Spend time in prayer, personal Bible study, and ministry as it presents itself. That is following God, walking with God. Spend time praying. Spend time in personal Bible study. We have a, um, sheets out there that have, uh, have two separate year-long Bible reading plans. If you're like, well, I don't know where to start. Well, there you go. Start at the Welcome Center. All right? Um, number two, surrender your will to God's will. How do I do that? You do that like this. Not my will, but thine. Say, God, I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. And you're going to try to take that back a lot and then say, you're right, God, I already gave that to you. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can have it back now. All right? Um, And that will happen repeatedly. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, um, says to be that sacrifice. Number three, obey what you already know to be God's will. Surrender a sin, end a relationship, make amends, whatever. If God is saying, do this thing, and we say, later. But over here, I'd like to focus on this. God says, you already know about this. Do that, and we'll talk about this later. So obey what you already know to be God's will. Number four, seek and follow godly input. Notice I didn't just say seek godly input. Seek and follow it. Don't ask people for their opinion and say, that sounds really uncomfortable. Let me go find somebody else who's going to be less awkward for me. Seek and follow godly input. We have a women's women's ministry, right? And that's a, um, that's a big part of, of what they do is they establish those relationships so they have, um, so ladies have somebody um, older who's um, spent more time with God to say, um, this is some things to consider. Men, we don't have that. But we have our men's prayer breakfast. You have your Sunday school teachers, Sunday school leaders, friendships, um, pastors, We'll do what we can to help you along, but seek and follow godly input. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 um, says, uh, says kind of a fool goes off on his own, 
but there is wisdom in many voices. Number five, pay attention to how God has wired you. Please don't ever ask me to serve in the children's ministry. I'm not kidding. Don't do that. But some of you love that and you're wired for it. Go. Serve where God has wired you. Do the things that, um, that you love to do um, and serve God in that way. Number six, listen to God's spirit. That comes through spending time quietly in prayer and study, ready to listen to what God has to say. Instead of, com- instead of coming to God and throwing out your list of wants and desires and needs and then saying amen and popping up and walking off, spend time in prayer listening to God. Meditate. Take your earbuds out. Turn your phone off. Go for a walk or a run. Go to um, the trail, whatever. Get on your bike. Start first thing in the morning, whatever it is, and just listen. Say, God, here I is. Number seven, listen to your heart. This is way down at the bottom. (laughs) Listen to your heart is way down at the bottom, and it has to be. It's important to listen to that because of what you know about God, and God changes your heart to his desires. But you start off with walking with God, surrendering your will to God's will, um, doing what you already know God wants you to do, seeking and following godly input, paying attention to how God has, has wired you, listening to God's spirit. And then at that point, your heart is in a, in a place where you can say, what do I really want to do? Because God has already shaped your heart to what he wants you to do. And you're willing to go and you're ready to go. Number eight, take a look at your circumstances. Um, as I've said before, I don't have what it takes to be a pro football player. Um, oddly enough, maybe surprised with that. Uh, but when I graduated high school, I was 108 pounds. So it's, um, it's no, I know the good old days. But I was also 4'7", so that didn't, um, that didn't help. All right, no, um, but, uh, but look, take a look at your circumstances. Who are you? How has God wired you? Um, and take that into consideration. I, don't, I would love to be an astronaut in some ways, but I don't want to do all the math. So I could never, I could never be an astronaut because that would not go well. But, um, but I, I do, I envy those, uh, the people who can do the kind of things that I can't do. Uh, but I take advantage of the opportunities that God has provided for me. Not everybody's going to be a pro ball player and not everybody's going to be an astronaut. So who has God cut you out to be? Who has he cut you out to be? Go where nobody else can go. Through the opportunities that nobody else is going to have but you. The greatest opportunity you have to follow God into 2018 is first to become a child of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Everybody's a creation of God. But we're told in, in, uh, in John that to those who called on his name, those who believed in him, he gave the right to be called children of God. The first step in following God into 2018 and to being a part of receiving God's goodness is placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Allowing God to, um, to save you from your sin, to wash that out, to clean that up, to get rid of it, to never hold that against you again. And you have that opportunity today. What the heck? Start 2018 with a, um, with a new heart. What do you say? It's a good way to go. Maybe you're just anxious, worried, scared about what's coming. That's okay. Let God have that too. 
It's okay to admit to God, I don't know what's coming in the future, but I'm okay with that. But I don't want to go without you. So I'm going to look back at all you have shown me, all you've already done, and I'm going to trust that you're going to continue to do that for me in the future. But God, don't send me without you. So the opportunity is here for you today. You can pray about whatever you want to. You can grab somebody who is going to pray with you. Or if you come up here, somebody else I know will come up and pray with you. And just say whatever you want. Pray whatever. But if anybody wants to place their faith in Christ or has any questions about what does that mean? How do I do that? Then we have people who can help you with that. So coming up, I'm going to hang out right here. We're going to pray and the praise team is going to make their way up. Okay? Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We know that sometimes we ask for things that we're not ready for. We do it all the time. And Father, in your goodness and in your graciousness, you say, no, no, I'll I'll show you what you need. I will show you what you really need, not what you think you need. We are thankful that the way you display your goodness to us is by all the things you do for us. You do all these amazing things. And some of them we don't give you credit for. We think we pulled it off ourselves, or um, it wasn't as great as, as you're making it out to be. But, but we know in the future that, that we, our perspective is going to change on some things. So, Father, ultimately what, um, what we need is to look back at all your goodness and to have confidence we can follow you into the future. We need a heart like Moses that says, uh, that says don't send us without you. I don't want to pursue a job. I don't want to pursue an opportunity. I don't want to move to a new town. I don't want to enter a relationship or end a relationship without you going first and setting it up. So Father, take the the letter from our hand that, that we're asking you to sign and rewrite it however it is you want to and give it to us so we can sign it. That we can say, I agree. Father, I agree to go where it is you call me to go to do the things you want me to do because I've seen you do amazing things before. Father, our hearts need to be soft to you. Everybody here has a burden. Some are big and new. Some we've carried for a long time and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It's just something we don't feel like we can get rid of. Some of them we hold on to because we're proud or because we're afraid we're gonna hurt somebody else if we say what needs to be said. But Father, you're good. You're good. And if you call us to it, we need to be ready to go. So Father, stir us to have a heart like yours, to be willing to surrender, to make 2018 a good year for you, not just for me. Thank you for your consistent goodness. We love you, we want to serve you, and we come to you anxious and scared and nervous and willing. So shape us up. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. We thank you. Amen. Let's stand together. If you want to pray, altar's open. If you want to speak to me, come on up.